Here's what's ahead of us on Grow in Grace. God is a God of order. He's a God who purposefully made the earth so that you and I would be able to be drawn in to discover how our body works and how nature works. It's very logical. Now, there's an awful lot of stuff we don't know, but he set it up for discovery. Zion, now build with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say let this world know me by your love. Have you ever faced something and didn't know what to do to correct the situation? Maybe it was so huge that you ended up grasping for straws, just trying to fix the issue. Well, that's sort of the picture we receive in John chapter 4. The nobleman in this story has a sick child, and he didn't know what to do to help his child, so he cried out to Jesus to save his son. A good move. Pastor Ed Ray will suggest that this is what we need to be doing ourselves. We're finishing up John chapter 4 today on Grow in Grace. This man is afraid. He was desperate. He was desperate for help. God's mercy is so broad that he'll come to people with wrong motives. I see it happening all the time. Well, he said so, James 4, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. What a promise. Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call upon him to all who call upon him in truth. God, please help me. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near to him with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled and our bodies washed by repenting. Come to him, cry out to him, and he will hear and he will respond. That's his promise. Then Jesus said to this man, this royal official, this relative of the king who has an infant son who is probably dying with a high fever, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Wow, that seems kind of rude. Sounds like a rebuke. In the English language, it's not clear, but in Greek, it's plural. But you all, He's speaking these words to all the Galileans that were there, not just this nobleman. They were coming to see something. Impress us. Make a dove fly. Do something special. So the nobleman's heart must have been wiped out at that moment because Jesus is saying, you, and he's included in that group, he thinks, his son is going to die. But it's not him personally Jesus is talking to. He's talking to all those who came to just watch. They want to see Jesus go down. They'll go with him, heal the kid, so they can all stand around and go, wow, that was a good miracle. You got another one today, Lord? (laughs) We're looking for some entertainment here. So 24 miles away from this village, Cana, K-A-N-N-A today, still called Cana, the place where the water had been turned into wine, is a kid. And the nomadman is begging. And he's a father who really doesn't care about politics. 
All he really cares about is his son. Sir, come down before my son dies. He's afraid that Jesus is going to just pass him off. My child, and the word is a term of endearment that he uses, is like saying, my dear son, my dear child, my infant son, before he dies, come. Now, Jesus speaks back to him. And this is another one of those times in the New Testament, especially in the Gospel of John, where it's frustrating because you can't see the face of Jesus. Language doesn't confer the expression on someone's faith. But the way we think Jesus is looking at the man tells us a little something about what we think God is like, what his character is. So I think Jesus says to him, go your way, your son lives. And he's got a big smile on his face. Imagine if you had the ability to heal somebody 27 miles away and just said, ah, it's all done. Go ahead. You'd smile. might laugh out loud. The man believed. The look on Jesus' face, the way he said it, convinced the man Jesus knew what he was talking about. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. Jesus doesn't heal him the way he asks. Come down and heal my son. I've done that to God before. God, I want you to do this and then that and then that. If you really want to make God laugh, tell him how to fix things. He's laughing when I say, you got to do it this way, Lord. It's the only way that'll work. Okay, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for the advice. As he's going down, his servants meet him and said, the same words to him Jesus just said to him. Only they'd been coming up from Capernaum hours later. Your son lives. That's what Jesus said. They say the same words. What do you think that did to the nobleman? Were you listening then? Did you hear what he said? Exact same words. Then he inquired of them the hour when the child got better. And they said, yesterday, at the seventh hour, it's Roman time, so it's one o'clock in the afternoon. At one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. Fever. He was going to die. And the father knew that it was at the same hour, verse 53, at which Jesus said to him, your son lives. Repeated again. And he himself believed and his whole household. He had a partial belief when he came up. He thought Jesus might be able to do a miracle. Maybe. He wasn't ready to accept all of what Jesus said. But for this man, this miracle is proof that this is God. Remember, John said that's his aim of the, of the book, of the Gospel of John, that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and believing that he is the Son of God, we would have eternal life. Now, verse 54, again, this is the second sign that Jesus did. Well, what about all of those other miracles at Jerusalem? No, John said, this is the one that will show you that this is God. The second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. 
same place where he turned water into wine from long distance. Now he's doing something from long distance very spectacularly. I, again, I don't know how he did it. I want to know. Healing was only done in the presence of the patient. Still very much that way today. You want a doctor, you want a nurse to be there and give you your medication, check the IV, whatever, depending on how sick you are. So, 27 miles away, Jesus reads this young baby's immune system. Didn't have a machine to take the white belt, a white cell count. Jesus knew he had an infection. I don't know what it is, I just know that Jesus did. And so, he is looking down on a baby and he knows everything that's needed for his healing. I worked in a hospital laboratory for 13 years. We spent millions of dollars, the hospital, two of them, on equipment to find out why a person is as sick as they are. How come his temperature is high? Well, what's his white blood count? Well, you run over to this half a million dollar machine and you count the white blood cells. What kind of bacteria is this? Well, I don't know. We'll put it on a, an auger plate and cook it overnight and we'll put the results in a gas chromatogram. Cost about a million bucks for the one that's the quality one at Redlands Community Hospital. And it comes out with some numbers and some cute little peaks that tell us, oh, oh, it might be this. Let's put it up next step and a next step. And so we have these teams of scientists, running, 56 different chemists, running around trying to diagnose what it is that you have or I have when I'm in the hospital. 27 miles away, <laughs> Jesus knows what he needs. Now, we know a lot about the immune system today because it's been in the news for the last year and a half. You know, I talk to you about antibodies. Oh, yeah, we know what those are and vaccines. Yeah, yeah, we know there's vaccines and, you know, attenuated viruses, a little part of it, and we know that it's a spike on a coronavirus. That's the one the coronavirus. And everybody's reading about it and talking about it. But we live in a privileged time. 21st century, we've been working for 21 centuries since Jesus did this to figure out how the human body works, how the immune system works, how nature works to produce antibiotics and all the other things. God is a God of order. He's a God who purposefully made the earth, hang on, so that you and I would be able to be drawn in to discover how our body works and how nature works. It's very logical. Now, there's an awful lot of stuff we don't know but he set it up for discovery. Why? So that we, as we try and discover things in science, the more we discover, the more order there is. Whether you're looking through a scanning electron microscope down at the tiniest part of an atom, or you're looking through the Hubble telescope, the farthest as we can see, it's detail. And it is under the laws of God, the laws of nature. Why did he set it up that way? So guys like me could sit in a physical chemistry lecture and have some atheistic scientist describing the H2O molecule and why it 
cracks rocks when it freezes. I'm sorry, this is just the stuff that gets to me. I'm sitting in the back of this one lecture and this guy went on for an hour on the dihedral angle of a H2O molecule, two hydrogen and oxygen. And that's the reason why water doesn't freeze. These are not in my notes, okay? This is the reason why water doesn't freeze all the way down to the bottom of a lake. Big Bear Lake got a lot of fish happy in there because they don't freeze solid every winter. Because that little angle, a four degree angle on the water molecule. How did God know that? <laughs> and so I'm sitting back there weeping in this science lecture that's so technical that it would bore you to death if you weren't getting that this is God's creation that he designed so that we could discover it. things about him because he is a God of order, a God of truth, and that we would be amazed by it. Today on Grow in Grace, Pastor Ed Ray is finishing up John chapter 4. Here he is with the rest of our message. I worked for a, a major pharmaceutical company, Glasgow Smith Klein, and there were a whole group of biochemists who they send out into the world to discover things that have already been discovered from native groups. For example, the guys down in China who live in a single wide trailer, a couple of American biochemists I know personally, and they're digging around down there. This is almost 30 years ago, it is 30 years ago. And they discovered that the Chinese doctors were giving people with high blood pressure and overweight, the scrapings off rice, red rice, the yeast that grew on it. Now some of you take that because you can go to a natural food store and buy red rice yeast. And they discovered the reason it worked was it had a statin in it. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but many people in this room are taking statins, Lipitor, they discovered the active ingredient off this rice molecule, a yeast that grows on it that keeps your cholesterol down. How did they find that? God wanted them to. How did the first Chinese guy find it? I can't help you there. And, and biochemistry is like that. So a British doctor is in Florida and he sees the Indians in Florida, Native Americans, taking the bark off of trees and chewing on it. And he notes what tree it is and he asks them, why are you eating wood? <laughs> he knows there's no nutritional value in it. He said, well, this willow tree, if you have a bad tooth, you just chew on the bark and it takes your toothache away. He said, no. Started distilling everything out of the... And what did he find? Salicylic acid. What? Aspirin. That's how we discovered it. We did not discover aspirin. Some Native American was really desperate one day with bad teeth and bit a tree. I don't know. And that could go, we can talk about heparin, we can talk about digitalis, I can talk about 40 different chemicals that God revealed to shaman 
non-Christians so that they would bring relief because he loves people so that we might grow in the wonder of him. Okay, we've talked about antibodies, the things that cause antibodies to grow. We talk about things that are discovered. One more, Alexander Fleming. He's a physician and he's working on trying to find influenza a cure. It's 1928 and he's got a very nice laboratory and he sets out all these plate, auger plates they're called. They're made out of glass and they're plastic today and you put a nutrient in it and bacteria grow on it. He's trying to discover the influenza a cure for it. And so he's got these plates all growing and he leaves the window open, a crack, when he goes on a two-week vacation. Didn't mean to leave the window open, but when he got back, he looked at the place and they were all ruined. They're overgrown with bacteria. And, and he was really upset about it. And he had discovered that there was a little satellites growing on it. All around on these Petri plates, there were little holes where you hold it up to the light, you could see through because there was something on the plate that was killing the bacteria, penicillin. Penicillin grows on bread. And he discovered it because he made a mistake and left the window. No, 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 no. God sent that little penicillin yeast in that window so that people with pneumonia would be cured. Some of them are accidental, like I've been talking about. Some of them are quite carefully thought through. Smallpox, leading cause of death from the first century to the 18th century in children. Smallpox, very old, major and very old minor. There's two of them. And so in the 1700s, the variola virus was killing off children. But there was a, a doctor, Jenner was his name, Edward Jenner, Berkshire, Lockshire, England. And he worked around a woman named Sarah Nels, N-E-L-M-E-S, Nels. And she was a milkmaid. And if you work around cattle, you are in danger of getting something called cowpox, uh, these little pockmarks on your hands that were had some kind of infection in it, but most people never got it. Well, he knew her, and he took a little bit of the material from her cowpox and put it out on an auger plate like I was describing, got it growing real well. And there was an um, eight-year-old boy named James Phipps, P-H-I-P-P-S. This goes out on the internet, so I want to make sure I get it right. On May 14th, 1797, the kid was given a vaccine of cowpox and it stopped him from getting smallpox. The first vaccination microbiologists had discovered. Scripture is like the owner's manual that you get with a car. And God has left all kinds of things that we could do to maintain the car, our body, that we might live a good life. There's been a lot of things hidden in the darkness over the years, but they're coming to light now. And we have vaccines for all kinds of measles and mumps and hepatitis A, B, chickenpox, meningitis, haemophilus influenza, on, on and on, these vaccines. 
It's a hot subject today. It shouldn't be. Uh, God wants us to be free of the physical issues, and we need more understanding. Max Lucado wrote a little story called The Cave People, and it describes what I'm trying to say. Long ago, a tribe lived in a dark, cold cavern. These cave dwellers huddled together and cried against the chill loud and long. It was all they did. It was all they knew to do. The sounds of the caves were mournful, but the people didn't even know it, for they had not known joy. The spirit of the cave was dead, but the people didn't know it, for they had never known life. One day a voice was heard to say, I have heard your cries, I have felt your chill, and seen your darkness, I have come to help. The cave people grew quiet. It was a new voice. Hope sounded strange to their ears. How do we know you come to help? Trust me, he answered. I have what you need. Through the darkness, the cave people saw him stacking something. What are you doing? Then one cried nervously. What are you making? One shouted even louder. No response. Tell us, demanded the third. The visitor spoke. I have what you need. And he lit the wood and flames erupted and light filled the cavern. The cave people turned away in fear. Put it out, put it out, it hurts our eyes. Light always hurts before it helps. Step closer, the pain will soon pass. No, said a voice, nor I, a second said. Only a fool would risk exposing his eyes to such light. The stranger asked, would you prefer the darkness and cold? Don't consult your fears, take a step of faith. No one spoke for a long time. People hovered in groups, covering their eyes. The fire builder stood next to the fire. It's warm here, he invited. He's right, a voice behind him spoke. It is warmer. As she moved towards the fire, she added, I can open my eyes now. I can see. Come closer, invited the fire builder. She stepped into the ring of light. Oh, it's so warm. Come, everybody, feel the warmth. Silence, woman, cried a cave dweller. Dare you lead us into your folly? Leave us and take your light with you. She turned to the stranger, why won't they come? They choose the chill, for though it's cold and dark, it's what they know. They'd rather be cold than change. The now warm woman stood silent, looking first at the dark and then at the man. Will you leave the fire, he asked. She paused and then answered, I cannot. I can't bear the cold, but nor can I bear the thought of my people in darkness. You don't have to, he responded. Reach into the fire and remove a stick. Carry this to your people and tell them the light is here and the light is warm. Tell them the light is for all who desire it. And she took the small flame and stepped into the shadows. God invites us to discover him some discover him through science, some through crisis, some through despair. But he's waiting for us to accept his great sacrifice. You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. You'll find us online at thepackinghouse.org. And that's a great place to go and hear this program again and find more information about the Packing House Christian Fellowship. That's thepackinghouse.org. You can also call and ask for a CD copy at 
77GRACE. You know, it takes a team to bring you Grow in Grace, and we look to our listeners to help make all this possible. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can call 844-77-GRACE. And as you do, be sure to request our special offer available for a gift of any amount. It's a book written by Chuck Smith titled, Why Grace Changes Everything. You'll discover the difference grace will make for you. It transforms our lives into something beautiful. Read all about it in this Christian classic. And we'll send it your way when you support Grow in Grace with a gift of any amount. You can reach us again at 844-77-GRACE. Again, that's 844-77-GRACE. You know, and even if you're not in a position to be able to give, we still want to hear from you. Your email would be a great encouragement to Pastor Ed. This lets us know where Grow in Grace is having an impact by God's grace. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us for the next Grow in Grace when Pastor Ed Ray will pick up where we left off in the Gospel of John. This program is brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your.